I feel like that girl <laughs> trying to sing Whitney Houston. No. Three, two, one. Welcome back to All Each Other Has. Thank you for joining us for our second episode of our private school series. We're really excited to be continuing the conversation. So Carrie, where did we leave off? So last episode, we talked kind of about a shift that occurred around fifth grade that for you on the one hand, and maybe this is something we still need to unpack independently or together, had to do with the September 11th attacks happening when you were in fifth grade. But on a more basic psychological level, it was the introduction to boys outside of school through ballroom dancing slash cotillion called Knickerbocker. And in this episode, we are kind of going to be talking about our experience in middle school at Spence and sort of a dark place (laughs) that it was, but in a lot of ways had many joys through those growing pains. So Knickerbocker was wild because it was sort of exclusive you know, they give preference to people with sibling and legacy applications. And the girls wore white gloves. The boys wore suits. And it was definitely stressful. I think that's the first time I straightened my hair was for Knickerbocker. I asked mom to straighten my hair. And I was extremely nervous about interacting with boys because of the all-girls school, which I think was amazing for me. I I think it was good for you too, maybe. And studies have shown that girls do benefit from single-sex education. Boys were like this totally foreign thing. And I was really nervous, but excited for Knickerbocker because it was was sort of a, a school dance. And we acted like we hated being there, but of course we loved it and looked forward to it. Loved. Yeah. I mean, I think at least in fifth grade, Knickerbocker was still fun and being around these boys from Buckley and St. Bernard's, even though they were like a foot shorter than us and (laughs) they would bring in laser pens and point them at Pierre, the instructor's butt. And they were very (laughs) immature compared to us in our little white gloves, but it was still fun because we were like 10 and 11 years old. We weren't really real tweens or or teenagers yet. And I wasn't wildly insecure quite yet. You know, you would get ready and go. And I was during Knickerbocker, I was really thinking about, you know, what I was going to have for dinner when I got home and what computer games I was going to play. I wasn't that hyper-focused on it. It was just sort of this funny thing where I saw my friends and I made New friends. Well, I just want to say that P- I love that you mentioned Pierre because uh, his name is Pierre Dulane, and he actually was featured in this documentary called Mad Hot Ballroom uh, about teaching ballroom dancing to a public school. Mm. And he, I think, I don't think his real name is Pierre, at least that was the legend, that he really was like <laughs> Peter and he was from Jersey, but he'd be an interesting character to look into because totally, what a funny life, you know, and career. It was Pierre and, and Miss and Yvonne. Yvonne. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, you would line up outside the ballroom. I mean, it was very gender normative or whatever, but, you know, boys on one side, girls on the other, and they would escort you in. It was this this whole thing. But I think later on, especially by sixth grade, 
And by that time, there was a confluence of things happening that I think were leading me to be extremely unhappy and insecure. One, it was real middle school by that point. Um, I was going through puberty. I mm. was in a very unattractive stage in my life. Um, yeah. I think I got I got my period that year, which was kind of early. Gossip Girl started mm. the TV show. They were constantly filming outside of our school at the Cooper Hewitt. That's where Lily and Bart had their wedding. I remember we were watching it from the stairwell. We'd go to the Met and see them film. Also, their school was on 93rd right. and Park. And sometimes their their trailers would be parked right outside of our apartment building on 92nd. And they would film the school in the first season, at least, at the Russian Orthodox Church on 93rd between right. Park and, and Madison. And we grew up on 92nd and Park. Little Spence which actually Fanny Bryce lived in before it was a school and it was also an embassy, whatever, was on 93rd, closer to Madison. So we would go and and we would watch them film and we would, I think in middle school, the, the uniform is less restrictive. You can wear sweaters, you can wear whatever shoes you want, as long as they're closed toed and, and don't have heels and I think aren't boots. Especially on, on Fridays, you can wear whatever you want. Maybe that was the case in lower school too. But I tried so completely to dress like and act like, unfortunately, Blair Waldorf. And it was the headbands. Ellie, this is around the time you were buying all those like tortoise shell clips and headbands at, at uh, Barney's Co-op. <laughs> and, you know, I would take your headbands. Remember this big one that was like, bejeweled that you got from Barney's that I took. This is when I started straightening my hair. It was the obsession with the Juicy Tubes lip gloss. And also this is around the time I think, and I think this happened for you too, Ellie, is the obsession with brands. And with, for me, it was the Tory Burch shoes with the gold logo on them. Yeah. I mean, I was five years above you and some things were different and some things weren't different at all. I mean, I remember getting to middle school, we had a new uniform. We went from wearing a green plaid jumper with a white collared shirt underneath to wearing a white collared shirt with a navy blue skirt. And I was so excited to get to middle school. I do remember an obsession with this uniform. I felt deeply and strongly that I should have a Elsa Peretti uh, bracelet, Tiffany and Co. bracelet with my initials on it, the heart. I think it's come back. It's a chain. It's a silver chain with a heart, and I felt very strongly that I had to have one. Luckily, Mom had been gifted one that said Ellie on one side and Carrie on the other. I still have it, LOL. And uh, so I wore that one, even though it had your name too, and it was very clearly our mom's. I felt very strongly that I should get juicy couture collared shirts that had sort of these little baby buttons. Do you know what I'm saying? Snap mm-hmm. buttons. And they had as a logo the two Scotty dogs. I don't think when I when I was in school it had that, but I remember feeling like I need the, that. I need Lacoste shirts and I need to have cute flats. This is pre-Tory Birch. So I think it was about going to French Soul. I mean, the girls above me, they were very well-dressed, very wealthy. Girls would wear Marc Jacobs flats. Everyone had those um, Longchamp bags or what's the one with the two tones that was French with the black strap. Anyway, um, I was obsessed with those. Everyone had a baby G watch. 
I, I think I just remember like, okay, now I'm supposed to look like, every, you know, in middle school, all you want to do is fit in. Right. <laughs> and I just remember begging mom for these things that at the time, you know, were just so way too expensive for a 12 year old. Wanting to get the shoes from little Eric's. Yeah, totally. Or, you know, going to, um, you know, infinity or there are all these places that we would love. Lester's. Lester's. Like, can you please take me there? And I remember starting to wear, you know, training bras and it just was a really confusing time. I think I also became close with a girl in middle school who was sort of from an old money family and had an older sister who was five years older than we were and sort of gave me this new narrative of New York that I didn't have before. And this is when Gossip Girl was books, but they definitely had an effect because in many ways, the Gossip Girl books were way edgier than the CW show. They all smoked cigarettes. Parents were not a part of the story because parents were never around. The idea of Lily and Rufus, I mean, those were, you know, so to me, sometimes like the actual Gossip Girl, I'm like, Please. You know what I mean? It seems so tame. These were girls who were drinking and smoking and having sex. And I know there's elements of that in the early seasons, but it was really about this rarefied world. Cecily, whatever, she went to Nightingale, which was two blocks down from Spence. So all this to say, Carrie, that I do feel like this new awareness and pressure came about in middle school to fit in, to be and look wealthy and to have all the right things and know the right people. Right. I think, I mean, we were totally obsessed with Gossip Girl because it's right when the TV show came out and there was a whole, I always use the word constellation, but there was a whole smattering of copycat blogs, right? And I made one of them on like WordPress. It was mostly like spottings of myself at like Chow Bella and polls about which boy from Knickerbocker I should date. But I was really, I think, influenced by kind of mean girl culture and speak in middle school. And I tried to talk like Blair Waldorf and talk like the people on the hills. I remember telling one girl over I am in fifth or sixth grade, quoting Lauren Conrad to Heidi but pretending like it was just me saying it to her. I want to forgive and I want to forget. I want to forgive you and I want to forget you or something. And she was like, that's so mean. Iconic scene. <laughs> and I I just was extremely mean because I think I was very unhappy. I was obsessed with taking mom's clothes, by the way, because by that time her shoes were just a little bit big for me, but they worked and taking mom's like Chanel ballet flats and in retrospect, it's totally inappropriate for a 12-year-old to, to be wearing that. Or I would Agreed. meet later on, you know, I would meet boys from Buckley at Chow Bella, this ice cream place across from Nightingale. And I would take mom's, remember how she has that one Chanel bag that's real? <laughs> the um, the salmon colored one. She didn't eat. Yeah, Al Roker got her, got her that, which was so nice. Right. So I would like walk around with that and it's so creepy. Yeah. And also thinking about the fact, and this is something we're going to explore in episodes to come, but this is around, you know, seventh grade and seventh grade in these schools 
is a time when there's an influx of new students, many of which come through a program called Prep for Prep, which is a very intense academic program, very selective, that basically plucks promising students, I think starting in fifth grade from New York public schools, tutors them intensely, I think most days after school, for hours in order to prepare them for prep school. And then they'll apply in seventh grade. And these are students that will be on financial aid. And by virtue of wealth disparity, you know, having such crossover with racial disparity in this country, most of the students that came through prep for prep were not white. And that hadn't been the case, you know, for grades kindergarten through sixth grade. There may have been a few non-white students. Most of my friends in at least early lower school, many of them were Chinese and adopted. And then there were a few Latina girls in my grade and um, one Black student. But seventh grade was a time of immense change with the entry of Prep for Prep girls, who I think about how alienated they must have felt, especially by the Gossip Girl stuff, especially by the obsession with the Tory Burch shoes. I remember this moment when a new student who hadn't come through Prep for Prep, but a similar program in eighth grade, asked, what's the deal with everyone wearing these shoes with the gold things on them to a friend of mine? And a friend told me the story and laughing and saying, isn't that so cute? Like, what the Oh, my God. Yeah, that's terrible. They really, looking back, I really wish that they had provided us, no joke, with shoes or said you have to wear sneakers or whatever. And same with sweaters. And provided us, yeah, you have to wear all Spence stuff. I mean, they could very much afford to do that. And here are the Spence backpacks. I don't know why we drove ourselves crazy over what we wore. I wonder if that's something that happens in every school to a certain extent or like not really. It feels like a lot of kids that I am now friends with, when they went to high school, they wore sweatpants every day and they probably looked like schlubs, but it's like they didn't care. And we were like wearing headbands and little flats and our Tiffany jewelry and our fancy bags. And that's how I felt secure, which is so sad. And I just, I, you know, obviously mom was incredibly successful and how amazing that she got to send her daughters as a single mother to such amazing schools. But I did feel like because we didn't come from the moneyed class of, you know, all the wasps there. And we also weren't, you know, um, weren't practicing Jews who had bought mitzvahs. Sometimes I felt I know this is crazy to say because we were white, so I can't even imagine how girls who were black or didn't come from Manhattan must have felt. But I did feel a little like, where do I fit into this elite system? What do you think? (laughs) Yeah. No, totally. I mean, I was so desperate. (laughs) Me too. To show that I was wealthy. And I remember feeling ashamed when someone would come to our house. And like, we lived on Park Avenue, but our house was always messy because mom is very messy. And yeah. um, mom is kind of a clutter bug. She's not like an esteet. Like she doesn't care about, as we talked about, she mm. wears Banana Republic. You know, she wears J. Crew. She doesn't give a shit. I just remember like such a sense of anxiety if someone, especially a particularly wealthy girl who I, I was aware was wealthier than me. I'm thinking of one person in particular 
if she was going to come over to my house for a play date or later to just like be on iChat, <laughs> I would frantically clean. And I, that really meant taking stacks of papers and putting them on mom's bed so that the house would look less cluttered. Mm-hmm. And like we lived on Park Avenue, like that's insane. Yeah. And like obviously coming from such a privileged perspective. But if like we felt a sense of anxiety and we're going to talk to people from different backgrounds who attended this school um, in the next episode, just like imagine how somebody who didn't, you know, live on Park Avenue. Totally. Um, how they must have felt. Absolutely. And then you add in social media, which I didn't have until high school, thankfully, but you you add into that photos taken from, I don't know, Marquee and the Boom Boom Room, you know, and all these all these girls going to all these places. And you're like, well, why am I not going? And why don't I look like that? And, you know, some of these girls, as Colin Yost wrote in his great essay for The New Yorker about is from Staten Island, and he went to Regis, which was a free Catholic school on Park Avenue uh, for very, very gifted children. And he took a bus, a ferry, and a subway to get to school every day. It took like over an hour. And he said that, you know, he was on the Upper East Side. He met the most sophisticated and beautiful girls ever, you know, and that's true. He was like, I'm, you know, I'm, I met girls who went to places like Spence and Chapin and Brearley, Marymount, places that just sounded rich. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Right. I mean, I think that the social media aspect was very intense for me in sixth and seventh grade. And I talked about this in the Boneless Girl piece, but I became obsessed with girls from a different all girls school nearby who didn't go to Knickerbocker because they were sort of more European um, than Waspy, or there was one who lived downtown who was so cool. And they just seemed to have finished up puberty and were really women. Yeah. And that really influenced me in terms of just wanting desperately one to be their friend, which somehow I ended up achieving by seventh grade and also just wanting to look like them. Mm -hmm. You know, these were girls who, and I would later do the same, but they were wearing like Hervé Leger dresses in sixth grade to go to the Goddard gaieties, like a dance between all the schools and wearing, you know, Louboutins and always had their hair done at Amour de Hair or probably Frederick Fakai or something. Mm-hmm. But I ended up becoming friends with them and losing a ton of weight to look like them, which mm-hmm. I, I think I talked about in the Boneless Girl piece. But I wanted to call my friend Jess because she and I were talking about this recently and especially this impulse among the all-girls school girls or a certain subsect of them to just, you know, fast forward through childhood and adolescence and be fully adults. So I'm going to call her now and see if she answers. Hello. Hi, it's Carrie, obviously. Hey, yeah. Hi, good. So I'm on with my sister right now. Hi. So everyone, this is a friend of mine I went to camp with way back in the day. Her name is Jess, and she, you know, also grew up in New York, but has an interesting perspective because she, what grades were you in public school for? 
Yeah, I went to public school from kindergarten through third grade. And then when I was in fourth grade, so I guess I was nine years old, I switched to private school. Do you want to say the name of the school? I I think better to leave it out, but it's in a suburban area in the Bronx. (laughs) Okay. So there are are three that it could be, but you were talking to me, though, about entering the school and even in fourth grade, just like being keenly aware that about the whole obsession with brands and, you know, the way it also, this is a school with no uniform, right? So Mm -hmm. it's probably even more intense because it's not just the ballet flats and sweaters (laughs) and bags, but can you talk a little bit about that culture shock? Yeah. So I think it was already like I was anticipating a transition or, you know, you'd expect that switching schools at kind of an odd year. But I remember there was such a big difference between the type of kids that were at each school. And I mean, this was a while ago, so I'm I'm thinking back to the details I remember. But one like story that comes to mind within a couple of weeks or I guess months of starting there, I remember um, everyone was wearing Uggs and like for some reason that sticks out in my head is something that I noticed and I remember at some point begging my mom if I could buy Uggs too and in retrospect I'm like I was nine asking for a name brand that's not even that like attractive at all but you know that was sort of the beginning of what ended up being like more of a theme later on. And I know you've experienced this as well at your schools, but just this like fixation on brands and materialism that I didn't experience in public school. Yeah. The other thing that we talked about you and I was, I don't know, it seems for some reason that these schools among the girls and and maybe it's worse at all girls schools, but there's just like this obsession with kind of trying to fast forward through childhood and honestly adolescence and just, appear as as women and and grow up quickly what were we saying about that yeah so I think we we had similar people we observed this in but I I found this more in in extracurricular activities that I pursued outside of school and it was with a group of girls who just truly acted and dressed and seemed like they were already in their 20s and I I think I said to the other day like if I ran into them now in the street, I'd probably, like, they'd probably be the same as they were back then, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Because Because they were already grown up. (laughs) Yeah, truly. And I mean, the things they did, the the clubs they went to when we were in sixth and seventh grade, and that was just something I hadn't experienced before entering a private school world. And I don't know, it's this weird thing where you sort of want to be them, but also don't because it's inappropriate when you're 11, 12 to be acting that way. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And then I think, well, I had a phase where I tried to do that and I became friends with, I don't know if you had a Facebook at that time, but the same girls that we were observing, we, we learned recently that they were the same people. And I'm sure a lot of them are really nice now. Um, and, and they were fine back then. But yeah, it was just like trying to accelerate your adolescence in a way that in retrospect makes me super sad because I wish that in when I was 11 and 12, I was still feeling like I was in my childhood, but I didn't. I was wearing like bandage dresses to bar and bat mitzvahs and like push-up bras from Victoria's Secret, which is insane. 
Oh, also getting drunk at Bar and Bonnet says. Like, that was already happening. Really? Okay, I didn't know about that. Um, But (laughs) tell me more. (laughs) Yeah, no, just, like, 13-year-olds, 12-year-olds, like, going to the bar at Bar and Bonnet says and and drinking. And I don't know, when you, you, like, observe them, do you want to be friends with them or, like... I did, and I did become friends with them. Right, right. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Well, it's, it's also interesting you, like, started observing them and then like kind of tried it on as an identity maybe right no totally I don't know, which I think I had enough distance that I was never in that <laughs> circle like directly but I don't know I guess there was such a presence in the New York City private school uh man it's kind of yeah it's also about like we used to use the term NYC famous and mm-hmm. Ellie w- weren't there were people like that for you too oh that absolutely you used to stalk on Facebook absolutely yeah, I mean, I think for me, it was also these were the girls that got the attention of the boys I was in love with from dancing school or, you know, these boys from Buckley um, mm-hmm. who had once shown an interest in me in fifth grade before these girls kind of stepped onto the scene or whatever. But by seventh grade, it was like they were everything, these girls. And they it's just funny because they would date these boys who were so much younger looking and small than, than they were. Yeah, it was such a thing and all this anxiety from moms at our school about turning into so-called fast girls. And I, at one point, was a fast girl, but then I, I saw the light and <laughs> I became oh, academic oh again. Um, no, and what the other thing is when you said like NYC famous, the friends that I stayed in touch with from my elementary school who went on to New York City, like, public high schools, I think that still existed. Like, there were always some, like, notorious personalities, like, in every socioeconomic, like, demographic. But, I don't know, in the schools that I went to, like, the private school scene, there was such a, like, emphasis on material, like, brands. And, like, I know that's sort of where we started. But, like, as we got older, I guess, there was, like, designer brands and going to the Hamptons and things that adults like doing adult things in the Hamptons and like going to clubs in New York that like cost a lot of money so right but there was always like a teenage promoter (laughs) yeah no it's like the wealth wrapped up into the social notoriety right 100%. It was also about having certain names like Vander Woodson or Vanderbilt or, you know, these names that were, you know, Roosevelt or Bronfman went to my school. And, you know, it's just, it's just these crazy families. And it's the idea of like, oh, well, we we're family friends. You know, we're fam. Our families are friends. Our parents go way back to Deerfield or where, you know what I mean? It was that this just very small enclave of people it was, you know, pretty incestuous, but you know, we're family friends and we grew up together. We grew up on Nantucket together. We grew up in the Hamptons together. You know what I'm talking about, Carrie? At least for us at Spence, it was also about having a certain last name and being old money was a major part of it. I, I think that this is another theme. We've been a little bit all over the place, um, but I think that that is a good place to, <laughs> to stop for now um okay i'll talk to you later okay okay bye Bye. but i think in spite of in spite of all of that and the anxiety of middle school spence middle school in a lot of ways was still interesting and special i mean that's where we discovered that we loved latin yeah that's where we started reading shakespeare took world religion 
Yeah, or for me, learning about feudal Japan <laughs> um, and going to a Japanese tea ceremony and, you know, continuing with French and academically, it was, it was incredible. And I think the arts program too only became more interesting in middle school. You took ceramics, you took photography and the world of Spence dance I think came into full fruition by the time at least I was in middle school and our dance program was, was taken over from a more sort of classic ballet program into <laughs> modern Martha Graham adjacent <laughs> theatricality. What's funny, I learned that Isadora Duncan actually taught at Spence back in the day, which is cool. Taught dance? Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so, you know, dance was such a thing at our school at Spence. And growing up, you would either have PE, physical education, obviously, what every kid does, or you'd have dance. And so part of being a lower school student was you had to, you went to Capizio, which was a dance supply store, and you got a leotard and you got little pink ballet slippers. And we had a teacher, Miss B, who was very serious and honestly kind of a bitch. <laughs> Sorry, Miss B. Um, <laughs> but uh, we had a, an annual show at Symphony Space every year. And um, it was mainly for high school students. But I think there were also some middle school dances in it. And when I, <laughs> I'm going to go into this because I'm here. But when we were in lower school, girls who did after school dance were a part of a performance with upper school students. And it, everyone in my class, except for me, and I think two other girls, including Lily Shioda, shout out. I, she was like an amazing swimmer. And I'm sure she's killing whatever she's doing now. Um, we would have to sit and watch them practice their dance during dance class. And so one time I said something to mom, I was like, oh, you know, it's kind of annoying because we just sit there while they practice their performance for symphony space and watch, and we don't really get to do anything. And mom, you know, who never really got involved in stuff, mentioned it to Miss Elting, um, who was the head of the lower school at the time. And of course, Miss Elting told Miss B and probably mentioned that it was my mom. So at one time we were all in dance class, she stops the music and it was like straight out of uh, Matilda. It was like one little girl in here told her mom that they have a problem with us practicing for symphony space during class time. And she completely like traumatized me. I mean, like what a bitch. <laughs> Can you imagine Carrie? Like she didn't pull me no. aside or anything or say, you know, that's valid or I hear you. I mean, what a bitch. So wherever you are, Miss B, I guess I harbor some resentment. Wherever you are, I, I hope you've found a little more peace and happiness than to come down so hard on an eight-year-old who recently lost their father, but whatever. And I remember um, a girl named whose mom was like super into the school and she was whispering near me, it was Ellie. And I didn't even realize that this had happened. I never, mom didn't tell me she was mentioning it to anyone. Anyway, whatever. So then we got a much better dance teacher named Mr. Someone who was a very talented modern dancer. And he really took symphony space to another level, wouldn't you say? Yeah. I mean, I think the dance program completely changed with his entry to the school, which must have been when do you think that was like 2004? Yeah. So my memories of dance, even in lower school, revolve around him and revolve around like warming up to the postal service, sleeping in. He was really cool. 
he was so cool and wore leather bracelets and, and, you know, he was sort of punk and he was hilarious. And we would, I have a memory in, in fifth grade when I did dance company, our performance at Symphony Space was to the song Ramalama Bang Bang. Amazing. And it began with us collapsed on the stage on the ground in a pile, pulsating like a giant heart. It was incredible. Ramalama Bang Bang. And we would dance to like Bjork's hyper ballad. And, you know, the person who can really speak the most to this time, which is, is ongoing and Spence's, you know, dance and performing arts history is our friend Elizabeth, who Ellie is going to call. Before we call her, I just, you know, I think it really speaks to a cool change that happened at Spence when, when it went from Miss B to Mr. To kind of a stuck up traditional ballet teacher. And the fact that this was part of our curriculum, I think spoke to Spence's having kind of an air of a finishing school, like to make ballet mandatory. I hope it's become more egalitarian, like wear what you want to dance or, you know, we're going to supply you with leotards because leotards and those shoes, I'm sure were expensive, right? And also, you know, are not necessarily made to fit on every, every body. Absolutely. And I feel like Spence dance was amazing because it was all different sizes too, especially when you got to watch the high school girls. And I, I'm sort of sad because I was very much a sports girl and I felt like I had to choose. I think that was because Miss B was so mean. Um, but I remember call, it was me and Lila Murphy, shout out Lila Murphy. And we would call the, the girls who were really into dance, like Elizabeth, TTFs, Tutu Freaks. I know. Hello. Hi, Elizabeth. How are you? Hey, Ellie. I'm great. How are you? <laughs> Good. Um, you're on with me and Carrie. We're recording. Hey, so we're just talking about school. We're talking about Spence. Uh, Elizabeth is one of my oldest friends. She and I actually went to preschool together, um, but we didn't really become friends until middle school because we never were in the same class in lower school and we grew up in the same apartment building and we used to walk to school together and she's one of our closest friends, a soul sister for life. Elizabeth and I moved out to LA together. We're still really close and she's wonderful. So Elizabeth, we are talking about dance, particularly at Spence. But just to recap where we're at, we were talking about the transition from Miss B, who, you know, uh, if if I'm remembering correctly, was more of a traditional ballet teacher uh-huh. to uh-huh. Mr. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, so just tell me your impressions yeah. of it. Okay, yeah. So I more or less, you know, I was a survivor expense, which meant like the 13 years, all 13 years. So I definitely there I guess for the transition from like wear your black leotard and a tight bun and like I don't know a pop song comes on like maybe once every quarter and like if you're lucky or whatever I um with Miss B and then I was definitely very excited about the transition the, the biggest like recollection that I have too of like Mr. Coming into this space was like definitely, obviously, like bringing like queerness like into Spence, yes. which I think at the time was like super novel. I remember we had one drama teacher who was definitely gay, but like really wasn't outward. I think with just like his persona, but you know, Miss very- right, right, exactly. He claimed that like he, you know, he basically should have been thanked during Gwyneth Paltrow's like Oscar speech, um, <laughs> like it was all him. But other than him, I don't really think there was much room for 
different and even I think just from a student population which I know maybe Carrie's experience is a little bit different in terms of, of out Spence roles but yeah that really certainly wasn't the case when you and I um, were there and, and when I was there during high school so I can't remember a, a single student actually that was that was formally out definitely um, yeah I definitely, I definitely really responded to him. And I think quite a lot of other students did too. And mm-hmm. I remember perhaps there was this like assistant dance teacher, Miss Kipkin with a K. I don't know. And yeah, I remember her. Yeah. Well, okay. So what I remember is that there was this incident and like it was pretty public where I guess she was like watching one of our rehearsals and she came up to Miss and she was like, when are you going to start doing like normal stuff again? And I guess like prior to Mr. coming on and doing maybe more interpretive dance and like kind of feeling like a little bit more androgynous and, you know, like that he was very offended by like what normal stuff meant. Um, Mm. And it was like very big deal in the space. Um, I think previously, like before him coming on, and I don't know, Ellie, if you remember this, when we would go see Symphony's Space and go see all of these like upper schoolers, like these women, like kind of create their own pieces, it was always like very sexy. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you recall that. I do, I do, I do absolutely. Not interested in in that for for high school students. So, so you're so you're yeah. saying sorry before Mr. McKinnon, it was kind of sexy, and then he came in and made and made things experimental and sort of sort of strange, but in a cool artistic yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. For, you know, for me, Elizabeth, you are such a talented dancer. And I remember coming to see Symphony Space every year when I was in high school and when I went to Trinity and just being blown away. I mean, the the production quality of, of these performances were amazing. And you guys obviously took it so seriously. It was a real professional show to me. I mean, you had to pay to go see that show. I mean, imagine it cost a lot to put on. Yeah, it definitely was a very big production and a very big deal at the school. I remember, like, also just being in high school when we were doing this performance that he would get really stressed out, like, and he would put his, like, you know, head in his hands and just be like, I'm going to kill you all, (laughs) you know, and and I think he was pretty serious in the sense of just, like, this being, like, sort of his major showcase and, like, what he brought to the school, and I think that there was probably also just, like, given who he was, a lot of pressure to deliver, Um, and, like, we are, you know, we're in high school, middle school, not a lot of these girls are talented. You know, so to me, to really- me though, I think he really, he really brought out the best in everyone. And it's obviously I was never a part of these, so I'm sure there is a whole other side of this production that was extremely stressful and, and awful, but the performance was amazing. I feel like it was a cool way for you to get to know girls in other grades. Mm-hmm, and, you know, totally. I think it functioned in many ways like a sports team, but with way more artistic um, expression, clearly, and preparation. And I think it really speaks to how privileged we were at these schools, the kind of professional resources we had in teachers like Mr. McGowan. You know, I, I know we've been reading an article by Caitlin Flanagan, uh, just, you know, talking about how well places like Trinity and Spence and and these boarding schools prepare kids for the Ivy League or for college. You know, Andover offers organic chemistry. I was just telling Carrie my senior year of high school, I did an independent study on existentialism where I read Nietzsche and Kant and Sartre and Simone de Beauvoir and, you know, the kind of stuff I was doing that I never really even did at Yale. (laughs) Totally, a hundred percent, absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah. And there was like custom fitting for our costumes and like hair and makeup and green rooms and um, 
Yeah. I think there was a ton of investment in, in us all together. But yeah, these extracurricular activities, they were not just kind of like clubs. I mean, I think that there was a serious in, um, investment into maybe also making this feel like a sport and worthy of it and really sort of translating and like showing off like arts as, as mm-hmm. a real key function of the Spence, you know, mm-hmm. organization. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think there's there's so much privilege in like being able to take one of those classes and being able to like really um, have this exposure of this like incredibly really thoughtful creative man. Yeah, um, definitely. To be honest, I don't think I've taken a dance class since. Right. Elizabeth was a really serious dancer. I mean, I will never forget that same Symphony Space show where we did the Ramalama Bang Bang as fifth graders. You did, was it Tegan and Sarah? Were you caught that girl by basically by her crotch? Yeah, Carrie's bringing up the Tegan and Sarah performance where you caught Lizzie. Um, and oh, Carrie's saying that she remembers you as a really serious, talented, d- dedicated dancer. That's so thoughtful. <laughs> yeah. Um, I believe, if memory serves, that was actually an independent piece choreographed by this brilliant dancer, Leanna. And she, she, I believe, went on to do incredible things in the performance arts space. Um, but yes, specifically with you and Sarah, I mean, granted, like, this was an all-girls dance squad, and I was, you know, I probably, like, the larger person of, <laughs> of the group and was... <laughs> Elizabeth's really tall. You know, holding up a lot of girls at various different times. And I know uh, there was some infamous moments, perhaps, where, like, vaginas were really close to my face. And, um, and, I mean, I was okay with it. Like, that was was, was all part of the art, you know? Yeah. But I think it sort of shows that Spence kind of was changing. You know, I I think as much as, you know, I I was talking about my friendship with, we'll redact her name, but, like, with Hillary, and that that Uh sort of, you know, because of Julie, and all of her friends who were named like Katrina and Katinka and whatever, and who uh-huh. were very old uh-huh. money. And, you know, the, the girl who worked at Jay McLaughlin or something because she got kicked out of school for dealing tons of Coke or do you right. there were just these like right. stories about, you know, these very old money people. And that's what I thought Spence was. I do think that things changed when we, you know, when we came about in small ways, but it seemed like it was becoming a little more progressive and getting out of the sort of 80s, 90s Spence sort of girl. (laughs) Right. The Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah, possibly. And listen, like, I'm not a Spence hater. I actually, like, I think I owe a lot to the school for absolutely today. You know, I give money. I'm I'm proud to, like, have gone to Spence. But I, I, when I look back, especially just given sort of the last few years I've had to reflect, I, I'm like super, you know, I don't necessarily feel proud of the fact that, you know, there were very, very select students that were prep or prep. It was, yes. um, yeah, I, I don't. And I can't imagine. I think there were pieces that were pretty progressive, but, but yeah. others still, especially now looking back, just feel really hard and cringy. Ab- no, to, abs- absolutely. Absolutely. And we were saying, you know, there were times when we felt like outsiders, so we can't even imagine, you know, what it must have felt like for some of the girls who came from outer borough or just right. how hard right. it must have been to fit in and to feel accepted. And Kate, Caitlin Flanagan talks about how a lot of, you know, a lot of these places would allow, you know, different kids from different communities, but that, that a lot of the times these schools, the experience of being black was a negative one. I rolled out of bed and went to school, like within, you know, got to school in two minutes. And some of these girls were commuting, I think like an hour and a half. Plus. Yeah. Um, and there were just so many features and pieces that I think were just, um, 
so overlooked in terms of their dedication and their like willingness to try and participate into this like ecosystem and yeah and us yeah no absolutely we're actually going to talk with someone from our grade who was one of two black students originally in our lower school but yeah i mean it is a it is a crazy world we grew up in and it really feels cathartic to look back on so thank you so much for joining us and reflecting oh my gosh my absolute pleasure i love you guys so much love you too carrie says thank you bye Thank you so much for listening to part two of our private school series of All Each Other Has. Thank you for bearing witness to the pains of middle school along with us. Um, We're really excited about the upcoming episode in which we speak to a former classmate of Ellie's at Spence who had an experience very different from ours, mostly due to the fact that for the first eight or so years of her time at Spence, she was one of two black students in her whole grade Um, and she spoke to us very candidly about the pressures coming from her community from the school from her family to reject her blackness and act white in this environment so stay tuned and take care love you like a sister bye